0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So here we are in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs and running first base. Mark Knutson, the tall right-hander, trying to nail this one down. He has thrown a gem to this point. Eight and two-thirds innings, giving up just three hits and looking for his fourth complete game to speak and perhaps to secure his 15th victory. He's got a three-to-one lead here in the bottom of the ninth. But at the plate is the guy who has two of those hits, Manny Rendonawa, a single to center and a double to right so far. Knutson into his windup. Here's the pitch, and he throws a fastball right by Rendonawa for strike one. Rendonawa a bit tardy on that swing. Now we're ready for the next pitch. The windup, and here it comes. There's a swing and a long one into the gap in right center field, way back towards the wall. It's off the wall. Beschet can't get there. He's chasing it down, and out of nowhere comes Ellis Burks. He'll get to the ball first. The run's going to score. Randowa is around second. He's digging for three. Here comes the throw from Burks. It's going to be close. Here's the slide. It's it's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now here are your hosts, Mark Knutson and Manny Rendawa.
1: The offseason is a time to do some reminiscing. Listen to some baseball stories. With that in mind, for this episode of the podcast, Manny and I talk with former Denver Zephyr Don August, who spent eight seasons pitching in foreign countries after he threw his final big league pitch for the Milwaukee Brewers. Glamorous? Well, maybe not. Fascinating? You better believe it. So pull up a chair, take a seat, and enjoy some story time on this episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. Our opening pitch is next, right after this.
2: For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com.
0: Learning life skills through baseball, USA Prime, is more than just travel baseball. We mentor young athletes in areas like teamwork and skill development. It's about more than winning weekend tournaments. It's about showing young players how to achieve their goals in baseball and beyond. Contact Scott Horman at USAPrimeColorado at gmail.com for more information.
1: Many on this podcast have been doing a lot of retrospective, kind of nostalgic stuff recently, and we'll do more of that with the Rockies coming up. Uh, have some guests, special guests on, but I wanted to go back to a, the, my days with the Denver Zephyrs. Uh, so we'll have the local con- connection there. We'll have the Denver Zephyrs and my, my former roommate who uh, pitched with me in Milwaukee as well. Don August joins the program today. Don, how are you, man?
2: I'm doing good. Good to be here.
1: Well, it's good to have you. And uh, the reason we're having you on is not because I want to hear any of your stories, not that we can hear any of your stories, because this is kind of a family program, but um, oh, I got good ones. Not from the from when we were here in Denver. Uh, I think <laughs> we steer clear of those for this show. Um, but anyway, and there are still places in this town I'm sure you're not welcome in. But anyway, um, we're going to talk tonight about your experiences as a professional baseball pitcher after you were done pitching the major leagues. Which people think, well, done, you threw your last pitch in the big leagues, maybe you bang around the minors a little bit, and then you're done. That was not the case with you. You did something very unique and very extraordinary, um, and I'll I'll start to, Manny. I hope you're okay with me starting the shameless plugs right now, um, because we did we've shamelessly plugged your books. So we'll we'll plug ours. Don I've Don's written a book. I've helped him edit it and, and get into book form on experiences outside the United States of America as a professional baseball player, um, and these stories, the ones that are suitable for, for telling on on a podcast, are remarkable, a- absolutely remarkable, and. Uh, we look forward to hopefully getting the book published next spring. That's the plan right now. It's all finished in the hands of a would-be publisher. So we'll keep, keep our fingers crossed about that. But I think when people get a chance to read it, they're going to be amazed by some of the things that, that Don went through in, uh, in places like Taiwan and Italy and Mexico and even the Caribbean nations. And um, I will tell you this, Manny, what, here's, here's how prepared he was for all this. When he first got the call that he was going to go overseas and play baseball in Puerto Rico, the first thing he did was go get a passport. <laughs> <Come
3: on. laughs> Is that a true story? Yes, <laughs> that's fantastic.
4: Hey, man. I mean, seriously. You know, we're you know we're not we're not living we're not living in an age where we we would necessarily know well, that. It's not like we have internet, a,
1: especially professional baseball players. <clears throat> and we're, just, we're focused on what we're doing here and now. And yeah. you get a chance like that, you know, don't leave any uh, eyes. Yeah. Well, I did. Undaunted. I didn't get a
2: passport to go to Canada though, so I, so, I get a little leeway here, maybe. Yeah. There you yeah, go. <laughs> we
1: forgot about Canada, but that's that's kind of a normal trip. So, Augie, um, we didn't talk much about this in the book, but I want to know the motivation. I know you wanted to continue to play when you were done. I think your last uh, – profe- well, before you went overseas, the last team was the Detroit Tigers. Didn't give you much of a shot in spring training. Or Cle- I take that back. San Francisco didn't give you much of a shot in spring training. Detroit um, didn't give you much of a shot in the, in the minor leagues. And you got this opportunity to go overseas. What, what were you thinking? Were you thinking this was a ticket back to the States?
2: Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah, you probably heard it a million times. Guys always said, as long as they had a uniform on their back, you know, they felt they always had an opportunity or a chance. So, you know, after the major league days, um, I did go to Puerto Rico to try to be seen, you know, maybe some scouts in the winter. I didn't get an opportunity to get an invite of any kind to spring training in 1993, which kind of surprised me. I had major league experience. I thought maybe some teams would be, at least, you know, have you on a triple A roster is kind of a backup guy who had some experience.
1: And there were but, uh, two expansion teams at that point too.
2: Yeah, true. Yeah. So yeah. I was disappointed. So I, I ended up going to the Mexican league and um, I played about the first part of the season there. Then I had the Cleveland Indians made a deal with me to go to a triple A team. So I thought, okay, that's my road that I thought I can get on and get my opportunity. But when I went with them, you know, it, it was one of those things where things happened where I was put on the disabled list two times when I wasn't hurt just for roster moves and and things like that. So I didn't really get the ball and pitch a on a regular basis. What were you on the the DL
4: for, by the way, was that, uh, was
1: that lower body? Pulled attitude muscle.
2: For me? Oh, I, I forgot. They made something up, you know, I was like, okay, you know, and, the thing was, though, the, what I liked about the Indians, they were a very good organization. I loved oh, yeah. being in that organization. You know, that was when the, the, the new great. players that were coming up they, were Manny yeah. Ramirez and Jim Tomey. Right. They were great. And a, a bunch of other guys. So, But they were always up front and honest with me. They allowed me and my agent to talk to other teams to see if I can get another deal. They, I still went on the road trips with them. I practiced. And I did all this stuff. And then they said, we're well, going to try to get you back as soon as we can. And, and they did. You know, overall, wasn't really the 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 chance that I was looking for.
1: Manny, here's a here's one, another one of those weird baseball stories. Um, the night my triplets were born was May 24th of 1993, and I was driving to the hospital. And my agent called me and said, "You have an op- We have an opportunity." I had been retired for one week. And my agent said, There's, "The Cleveland Indians want to sign you and send you to Charlotte." And I said, "No, thank you." Little did I know, I would have been Don's teammate again at that point. I had other things on my mind that night. But I would have been Augie's teammate again had I done it. I probably would end up ended up on the DL a couple of times with a phantom injury, but that's, that's how baseball works. It's a weird game. Yep.
2: Well then um, after that season ended, okay. I said, I, I need an opportunity to be seen again. So right. um, I was keeping my arm in shape here in the walk area in an indoor facility. It was right around Thanksgiving time and uh, a former pitching coach and you know, guy that was in the Brewers organization a long time was named Bill Castro, mm-hmm. and he walked into the vicinity. He goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm keeping my arm in shape. I want to play winter ball. He goes, well, I'm going to the Dominican Republic in a couple of days. He goes, if you want to play in the Dominican, I'll talk to my team, and uh, we'll get you there. I mean, was it five days later my phone was ringing from a team from the Dominican, and I had a chance to go play there.
1: I so, always wondered why you didn't hire Billy as your agent at that point. Looks like he was doing a good job.
2: Yeah. He he came through big time. No doubt about that. So I got some more experience of playing there. I had a really good winter. And um, so that uh, season ended.
1: Tell me about your relationship with Tony Pena. When you were playing. I love Tony
2: Pena. He's like one of the best catchers that I ever pitched to. Now we, now we played against him. you know, when he was with the Boston Red Sox Mm -hmm. and, you know, and everybody knew, you know, his, of all the, you know, all the great years he had played. And, but man, when I pitched to him, he made you believe you can do anything. Yeah. He just had that enthusiasm. He just had yeah. that way of being a leader. Yeah. And he, he put that sign down and he just slapped his glove. He'd look at you. He, he, he asking me to do a, like a 3-1 backdoor curveball or something. But he made me believe that I could do it. I go, if he thinks I can do it, I can do it. And, and I go for it.
1: And you had some wonderful stories about your interactions with Pena and his family off the field as well.
2: Yeah. Um, Tony, was he was really a good person. Um, I remember a lot of times after games, you know, we go into into the town that we were in in Santiago and there's a lot of places we eat late at night. It was like this kind of street food or these late little outdoor restaurant kind of places. And I know this one occasion, um, we were sitting there eating and there's these little kids just roaming the streets, you know, and this, this little boy, he's like a tiny little kid. And, uh, he came up to our table and Tony kind of brought him in and let him sit there and, and he fed him. Now, kind of a weird thing. The kid had six fingers on each hand, which is kind of another side story. Wow,
1: I wonder where he is but... these days. I wonder <laughs> what he could have been playing basketball or something with, with six fingers on the hand. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. But uh, so. But then later on during the winter, I just saw this kid was always around Tony. He's bringing to games. I even saw him bring him on a like, little mini road trip, you know. Yeah. A lot of times in Dominican, you play a game, and then after the game, you drive back if, a, right. you know, if you're away. But a few occasions, we have to spend the night. And, um, and all of a sudden, he had this little kid with him. So he kind of took this kid in, and story was he bought him clothes and took care of him and did a lot of things for he and his family and, and stuff like that. So that was like a real kind of a you know, side story that a lot of people don't ever hear about the good things that a lot of ballplayers do
1: for people. Yeah, you, you don't, yeah, that's exactly right. You don't hear these kinds of stories before. And again, this is why in the book, when you went over these kinds of things, these, these are remarkable stories. People, people don't see this kind of stuff. And it's it's just amazing. And you spent a lot of time in Mexico as well, and you, met, you played with a lot of good players in Mexico. But what got me about the stories about Mexico was the food. I mean, all, all the. I mean, I don't know how. I know you had an iron constitution to begin with, but man, what you went through uh, in in Latin America and Mexico, I'm telling you right now, I'd have lost hundred pounds. I would have eaten, eaten, never eaten any any of that stuff. How did you? Do well, that?
2: I did lose some weight, all right. Yeah, but that, that's just the thing, though. When you know when you when you play in other countries, whether you're going to go there on a vacation. Or you're gonna go there to work, or you know, play baseball. For my situation, is you know, you have to learn the language. You have to get yourself understand the culture, and part of that is food. And uh, you know, you're gonna to have to eat things that you're unsure of. You're gonna to have to get way out of your comfort zone. And you know, in the Dominican and Mexico, there were a lot of things that I ate, or I would just kind of put down because somehow ingest. I, I developed a technique of where Injustice you like that. stick things in your mouth that you're not sure of what it really is, and you don't let it touch your tongue, and then you crunch with your back molars real quick, and you can swallow quickly, and you didn't taste it, and it'd go down, and it'd fill your stomach. So then you, you're you eating food oh, because God. you didn't want to starve.
1: <laughs> and, you, and you often paid the price for that. That sounds like
4: you became an expert at that
2: yes i did become an expert
1: do you have a choice i mean if you want you um, to want to
2: starve right true sometimes i thought that i could just like wait it out but when you get real hungry and and the saying that we use in the book was when you're hungry enough you're you pretty much will eat anything you know yes, yes. so at times i i had to go with oh. my technique and you know there's pig ears with hairs in them and cow stomachs and oh wow, some green stuff that I don't know what it was that they got out of the oceans in Taiwan and yeah several that, you know several honestly, honestly you know I you know I, I,
4: I always thought that Wrigley Field was the worst was the worst food ever <laughs> not anymore <laughs> not anymore man Wrigley Field press box forget it yeah. but no, now worries. you know I'll yeah. be happy I'll be, I'll be happy with those uh you know seven day old hot dogs and this,
1: this is the life of a professional baseball player now I mean the Mexican League is what yeah. It's, no it's, it's almost triple a level. Oh, is that right? I mean, triple a, double a,
2: classified triple a, but I'd say double a and a half ish. Okay. Kind of so, so,
1: so that's how they, that's how those guys eat, Manny. Can you imagine that? That's how these professional baseball players, these minor leaguers are eating. It's just, that's it's, it shocked me.
2: Well, eating street food. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad thing is I go on bus road trips. There's a few, I like the, the tacos. I mean, the authentic real tacos in, in Mexico, not the Americanized ones mm-hmm. that we hear, yeah. At our nice chain restaurants and things, but you know, it's just like they'd just have this meat just spinning around, uh, mm-hmm. cooking, and they just carve it off and they'd roll it into a tortilla, put a little salsa on it. There was like these chilled tacos where the meat and the cheese and right. the t- lettuce and tomatoes right. and that sort right. of thing, but I-, I loved eating them, but they'd make my stomach kind of gurgle, and kind the bad of- thing about it was. Our bus on um, a lot, so the one team I play for was would park the bus in front of this one taco place. And then from there we'd take our you know, these 14, 16, 18 hour bus rides in. Oh, and it'd it, it kill my stomach, but they tasted so good. I go, man, there's not, you know, if something actually tasted good that you liked, you had you to go it, Right?
1: And and no restrooms on these buses, correct? No facilities. Well, it
2: depends on what team you are. One team. The two I played for two different teams in the Mexican League. The one team had the air conditioning and no bathroom. The other one huh. had the bathroom with no air conditioning. So, which yeah, one would you rather have? You had to pick. Uh, the the I think I think the bathroom would, would be important. Now, there's a lot of <laughs> Apparently, trips. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, a lot of trips where you're like, okay, I gotta go to the bathroom now. You gotta hold it, and. You'd have to wait hours before the bus would pull off on the side of the highway. then you'd see about 12 to 14 guys all
1: and, going to the bathroom. But you were and, well prepared for that because you brought your own. Right? Well, you'd have,
2: you have I learned that as a traveler in foreign countries, you needed to always keep a couple of bottled waters on you in your nearby bag that you'd have with you at all times. And I always had at least a roll of toilet paper with me just for important
1: situations
2: well, that would arise, such as so pull off the side of for- the road. Not, not at a bathroom, but off the side of the road on the highway, cars are driving by and they can see 14 guys peeing and some guys maybe squatting and doing some business, which I had the experience of doing that. It's very uh-huh. actually liberating and, and you feel a lot of freedom when you can just be <laughs> with nature and and,
1: and uh, take Good. care of things. You've always been one with nature. Um, <laughs> well, talk about some of the playing facilities too. Some of the fields you, you practiced and played on were – I mean, you wonder why it's no secret why these Dominican kids are good fielders, right? When they come over, correct, here. right? Yes.
2: Um, I think nowadays the stadiums they've always improved them, you know, especially with a lot of major league guys that have come from the Dominican these last, you know, decade at least. Right. But before that, it was always a few Dominican players here and there and some of the teams. But the stadiums and the playing conditions have improved a lot. But still, when I was playing, they played in stadiums, but you know, the fields weren't always what we'd say comparable to here in, you know, yeah. in the yeah. States, especially a major league stadium here in the yeah, States. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the fields are immaculate. Right. So um, one of the fields that really kind of stuck out early in my um, travels out of the country was I just came, went to Mexico my first year, and I hadn't even been there maybe a week. And our our season was about, opening day was like maybe less than a week away, and we are going to play this exhibition game. Out in this little town called Libres, out out in the middle of Mexico, and we're out in this open highway, kind of like a dust highway. Just and all of a sudden, you see a little town off in the distance, and you you pull into it. And this town was so old that these roads were made, the streets of roads River, were made before cars. I would imagine because they're wow. very very narrow, and our bus couldn't make the turns no more as we got into this town. So in the middle of this town, we had to exit the bus and carry all of our gear. Out of it and you had to carry it over your shoulders and your bags and we started humping through the rest of this town kind of in and out of the roads to find the ballpark which is kind of like more we on the outskirts of the city and uh and we get to this field and it was like all dirt well i wouldn't say all dirt because there was clumps of weeds throughout the whole field and there was this huge weed that was right on the pitcher's mound too so I'm thinking, are we actually gonna really play a game on this? So it was an exhibition game, and uh we played it uh, on in anyways, and uh we we kind of we crushed this team, but you know, it just made you think, well, how these guys, like saying the Dominican and mm-hmm. some of these little mm-hmm. fields that we played in in Mexico, these guys they can catch a ground ball on that stuff, they can catch a ball in these, right. these immaculate fields that we have, you know, in the major leagues, and even nowadays in the triple A and A, those, those stadiums are all really kept nice for players to play on.
1: Yeah. It, when you um, you had those two, two stints in Mexico, you came back here and you, and you got a chance, a brief chance with the Padres minority team. And then the uh, player strike of 1994 hits. And again, I was retired now for a year plus, and we start getting these phone calls about replacement players, about being a replacement yeah. player. You got a phone call from a friend of ours, Pete Bukovich, who wanted you to, wanted you to sign with Pittsburgh, but not necessarily a replacement player. Go through that scenario real quick.
2: Well, as you know, I was already had busted my butt by going in, you know, to Puerto Rico, the Dominican and the uh, season, you know, two parts of seasons in, in Mexico. Right. You know, I paid my dues. I'm showing. I'm putting up some really good numbers though. And um, I'm waiting for my opportunity. And. Uh, by the, you know, that time when the owners were going to come with this replacement player idea, then my phone rang off the, I, I wondered, does anybody even know my phone number? Do they know it exist anymore? Yeah. And, but when the phone rang off the hook, uh, I bet you I had over 20 teams at the time. What was there? 26 or so
1: at the so, time? There were two less than are now. So 28. 28.
2: 28. Okay. So I know I had well over 20 something phone calls. All of them had the same format. Hey, we'd like to bring you in, but as a replacement player. And they're telling me the money they'd give me up front and all that stuff. And I'm going, no, nope, sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm not interested in that. Um. Then, the Atlanta Braves called me, and they off. They said we would like to bring you not as a replacement player. We want to bring you in as a a AAA guy with some experience and be there in case something happens. Help our young guys in the minors while you're there. And I said okay. That sounds like I. Oh, now the bad thing is trying to break into the Atlanta Braves rotation. If something, you know, if I had yeah. to be had to be pitching good and something had to happen, yeah. but you know, with you know Tom Glavlin, Greg Maddox, and John Smoltz Steve and Steve Avery, yeah, uh, Steve Avery. Oh God, they were just loaded. Right. So, so I, I was ready to take that deal. I go, okay. You know, I talked over with my wife Tammy, and that was like a, a thing that let's go for it. Well, as I was literally going to call the Braves back and say, yeah, I'll take your offer, the phone rang and, and it was like you were mentioning Pete Vukovich with the Pirates, mm-hmm. yep. and I said, Pete, I go, I already got a deal. I'm actually, I was just getting ready to call the Braves back and, and take their deal, and he asked me, go, he goes, well, what's their deal? So I told it to him. He goes, okay, I, I'll match it. I go, well, I'll have Major League camp if there's a ma- a real major league camp. He goes, okay, I'll bring you as a non-roster guy there too. I said, Wow, I got this guy that's gonna really be back. You know, we've known Pete, you know, yep. with the Brewers organization. You know, mm-hmm. he was a, an announcer and you know, he always helped out on the side and all that kind of stuff. So I, I changed my mind with the Braves. I said, Hey, thanks for the offer, but I got another one. So I went with the with Vukovic and the and the pirates. And that was that crazy nutty you know
1: spring sort of spring training spring yeah.
2: training after the, the no world series of 94 so spring yeah. training of 95 you know they had the replacement players and all that going on and you know, eventually they made a deal and uh so i didn't get a chance to go to the mid-league spring training because it was like god i think spring training actually started like about a week before the season was supposed yeah. to start so they had to like have a delayed that season a little bit and they brought just a few guys, in. so guys like me, I didn't get my opportunity to show them something. But I went to the the AAA season started on time, anyway. So that's where I went. I started the year at uh, AAA with the Pirates, which was in Calgary, Canada. So it's kind of like being out of the country yeah. again, you know, yeah. Canada.
1: Yeah, it's a Canada's an interesting place and too. You
2: had your passport ready,
4: right, at that point? Well,
1: I'm glad you got some use out of that thing. Um, then you got you got a phone call when that season was over from Reggie Waller. Um, who, again, somebody we knew from the Houston organization when we were both with the Astros. Um, Talk about what Reggie's told you and what tilted you towards another stint overseas.
2: Um, Yeah, I I had a little history with Reggie. As you mentioned, he was a scout with the Astros. He was the one who actually drafted and signed me. Mm -hmm. And um, over the years, I'd run into him and see him and talk to him and stuff. But um, that stint, though, just before all this with the Padres, he was the assistant general manager there. And uh, he's the one that got me after the my second year in the Mexican League, and when the season ended there, there's like about two to three, two and a half, three weeks left in the minor league season. And uh he got me to go the Padres double A team to finish up there. But the plan was start at the double A team, get you know, pitch a few games, get going. Then there might be about a week and a half to two left with Las Vegas, the triple A team, go there and finish up. And he goes, I'll bring you back to the spring training next year. Um But he goes, I don't know if i get you a major league invite or not. He goes, but if I don't, he goes, we'll call you up during spring training to pitch in a couple B games or a game here and there and fill in, but start you out in the season in AAA if you do good and blah, 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 blah. So I I went to Wichita, and I was there like my second or third day. I'm staying at the hotel that Reggie arranged for them, the Padre's going to pay for while I stayed there. There's a Denny's in the parking lot, so I remember going to eat lunch one day, and I grabbed the newspaper that just was there by the – you know, by the register. And, uh, so the lady sat me down. I, I opened up the paper. I get to like page five, six, whatever it was. And it says Reggie Waller fired by the, by the Padres.
1: <laughs> okay. So just said, keep on coming. Me, don't they?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, so I had a whole deal. I didn't have to worry about going to, uh, like to, a you know, winter ball or try to, negotiate and try to find a crappy deal in the minor leagues. Hopefully I thought I was set, but so anyway, that, that's the side story there. But the next year I did get a deal with the pirates with Vukovic. I start the season in AAA and Reggie Waller calls me up and says, Hey, um, I know these guys out of San Diego that, that get players over to Taiwan. There's a, there's a team in Taiwan, this one owner, he really wants you. There's a guy in Taiwan who wants me. I go, all right. I go, but hey, I go, I'm pitching here. I'm in the starting rotation right now here at AAA with the Pirates. Because I know, he's I get, I get, just in case anything happens, you know, these guys got a place there and there's a team that wants you. And I said, okay, I'll follow away. but I'm hoping to, to do well and get my opportunities in the United States. I mean, that was the whole deal, of you know, originally going out of the country is to get a chance again. So I go um, AAA. And, you know, my deal with the, the Pirates didn't last but a month. And uh, so I made the phone call back to Reggie. Hey, Reggie, is the, those guys still getting guys to Taiwan? Because yeah, we can get you there. So he called his guys, and uh, we made a deal, and off to Taiwan, I went. I My plan was, though, because baseball was in such a mess with that replacement player, the strikes, the season being delayed started. And I thought, you know, typically when you're in the minors, I mean, or not in a minor league team, um, it takes about probably towards the middle of May, towards the end of May, when things happen for guys who are not on a team, that you get the chance. I go, man, baseball's so messed up. There's no way they're gonna, I'm going to have a chance in May. it would probably be July or maybe later than that. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go for one year, just see what baseball in Asia is like. I'll go to Taiwan, let the dust settle a little bit, get things back in order in the United States, and I'll, I'll take my shot again after that. So that was my intentions of just going there for one year in Taiwan, which ended up being five.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I can't even imagine. Again, the book, when the book comes out, it's called foreign affairs. When it comes out, people can read the details of some of this stuff, but some of the things that you experienced there as an American, uh, basically the only white guy on your team almost the entire time. Right. So it's not like you didn't stand out like a sore thumb anyway, but some of the experiences off the field, uh, obviously the game is the game when you play it between the lines for the most part, there's obviously some differences, but, um off the field it's just I mean, talk about culture shock it makes you appreciate what those what the foreign players have to go through when they come here
2: true so i, I do tell people i have the experience of being a minority in another yeah. place yeah. you know uh my team was made up of mostly uh, taiwanese players maybe a japanese player here and there um uh, the the you know,
4: would you tell us what the team
2: was the, the actual name of the team the team I went to was was in Taichung. We yeah. We're based out of Taichung. Now the weird thing about the the CPBL, the Chinese Professional Baseball League, is you had a home base where you stayed, and you would play, there were six teams, and four of the teams would travel to the same location, and through that week, with, you'd play the other three teams, and you take turns being the home team. And the like
4: tournament every every series. Yeah.
2: It's sort of like that. And then two of the other two teams would play in another city and they play a four game series, taking turns being the home and visitors back and forth each game. So that was kind of a weird, unique way how they they ran their league. But I I went to there. And so Taichung was we sometimes we play games in Taichung when when it happened. Each city, you know, they change the cities from week to week. But you play it in your home city. But sometimes you'd be the visiting team, you know, then. You have a day off and the other two teams would be playing the game that next day. Then you play again and these you know, until you got them all you played them all the together in that one week. So
4: it was well, it was this, kind uh, of
2: different. I, I um when I was growing
4: up, I I obviously this is we're talking Japan versus China, so I'm sure there's some differences. But uh, you know, a lot of us have watched that Tom Selleck movie about uh, Mr. Baseball, you know, going overseas and yeah. And uh, you know, he got replaced by Frank Thomas of all people at, you know, at first base in the in the States, and so he <laughs> had to go. The only team that wants them is in Japan. So he goes to play there for the dragons or whatever, but you know, they got the all dirt infield. They got the flowers waiting for you at home plate and all that stuff. What were the, some of those kinds of like um, kind of things that we would look at here
2: uh, from our perspective and say that, that now that's weird. Um, the fans. Yeah. They're fa- they're fanatical. I mean, they, they have your team. You'd played all these different cities, like I was mentioning, but they'd split the stadium in half basically. So your team is oh, wow. safe. We're in the third base dugout from home plate on the third base side. Straight down, you know, wrap around the third base line, and then half of the the stands out That's in the crazy. outfield to center field would be your team with your colors, and then the other team <laughs> would begin the middle part of center field and wrap around the first base side. And each side would have like people with mu- musical instruments, like horns and trumpets and trombones and they're just playing music and they got drums boom 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 and they got these plastic things they're clanging them back together and it was just noise and loud and they had these big flags they're waving them around they're running around the 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 aisles and, and around the stadium waving their flag and when one person on would cross over to the other team's side with the flag all oh, people would jump them and start beating the guy up I mean you really? saw people literally <laughs> getting bloodied in the in the stands and it was just chanting and songs and back and forth. And, and then if there's bad calls, oh, God, forget. I mean, literally bottles and anything. they <laughs> Chairs would be flying under <laughs> <onto> the, <laughs> the field. I mean, anything they can get their hands on, they throw it. And then you're taking cover. and you're, you're, I mean, I had bottles whiz by my head and things flying there. And then they'd have to wait to clean it all up. Oh, God. If a, another close call came within five minutes, it would just be all back on the field again. So it was just this craziness that went all game long, intense. And, and no rainouts. They the, the, the fans would freak out if there was going to be a rainout. I mean, we played games where the rain was coming down hard, and next thing up, there's literally these big giant puddles on the field, and we keep playing. Because if, <laughs> if the umpires began to stop and talk about maybe holding the game up a little bit, they would start throwing things and they go crazy again. <laughs> so very rarely did they call a game, you know, except when as you, it was being played,
1: except when you had a hurricane or two.
2: Yeah. Uh, typhoons. typhoons. Yeah, It was the same thing. Yeah, I, I went through about two to three of those typhoons, wow. you know, describing that's, you know, I mean, very destructive. I mean, it's a hurricanes. People died and there's major destruction and lots of stuff like that. So, and, you know, living through stadiums and stuff like that. And the fans, they love you. I mean, often after games, um, fans would give me these gifts. I mean, these really nice gifts. You know, they go. They tell you they love you and they go, here, have this gift and you have to accept it properly. You have to learn how to do that. You know, put your hands out and pull it in and bow your head and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. After the game, they, they had announced who the MVP of the game would be. So if you pitched that a real game, good MVP game and you sure. shut them down, yeah. you have to meet at home plate after the game. And then they, uh, they, na- they gave you this little trophy you know, and then you had to take a picture of the president of the league and all that kind of stuff and flowers, and the fans would be cheering for you. Then after the games, each team had to get on the first base and third base lines, and we had to take our hats off and, and bow to the fans for, like, thanking them for coming and supporting us and a lot of wow. just differences that were there. You know, I watched that movie. Than, uh, Rocker, right? you know, yeah. That's a little bit
4: different than John Rocker, right? You know, that's a little bit different. <laughs> rocker a john rocker that's a, reference that's a little different where you bow instead of you know the yeah yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, Auggie, um obviously you mentioned the hurricanes you went through an er- a major earthquake there yeah well, you didn't weren't sure you're were you were on a on high-rise building weren't sure you're were going to survive that um there was a point fi- or a game fixing scandal that you thought you might get thrown off a building because you refused to participate with the gangsters wait, 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 wait,
2: wait, wait. oh yeah, yeah.
1: we got to talk about that right now okay
2: Play, this i was in my second year now playing in the CPBL and word was kind of getting around that there's gambling in the culture in Asia and Taiwan. They, it's gambling. They love to gamble. They gamble on anything and everything and so on and so forth. So there was word getting out that there was some gambling going on in, in the games in Taiwan. And uh, God, and I was playing on a bad team. The two, those first two years, both years we came in last place. We just got our butts kicked all the time. So I mean, it would be frustrating, you know, you're trying to put up good numbers. So opportunities in Japan may take the, the, the way through Japan back to the United States. Or maybe if someone can hear it how we're doing, you know, you're hoping that people in the states, scouts or whatever, are hearing about what you're doing. So you need to have good numbers. You want to win and all that kind of stuff. So um, I had another um, teammate of mine. He was an American guy. He was he came up in the Astros organization. His name was Tony Matoyer. I don't know if Mark, if you yeah. remember him or not, oh, yeah, we were drafted, mm-hmm. me and him were drafted the same yep. year. So we did a couple of um, fall ball league things. Um, instructionally, we called it back then. Yep. And a couple of minor league, I did some minor league, you know, I got sent down to minor league camps, to Astros, you know, I'd run into this guy. So he's on my team. So we're like, what we began to like watch real close. Is it happening or not? You know, you started to look closer now when there was an error, is that just a bad hop or did he really just muff the ball or, or, or did he do it on purpose? So we started watching real close. It was hard to tell. You know, I had my suspicions, but I wasn't fully sure. And you kind of knew because of the, the word going around that you're believing it had happened. But you're hoping that your teammates weren't doing it, especially when you're pitching a game and trying to win it. Um, so a thing that they like to do a lot in Taiwan is karaoke stuff. I mean, there's these karaoke buildings that are everywhere. They're called KTVs, karaoke TV. I mean, you can go an intersection The one intersection, they these eight story buildings, 10 story buildings, on all corners and down the street, you would see six to eight of them, literally two or three of them in the same building. So they really love that. And my teammates and these friends of mine that I got to know would always want me to go to these karaoke places to sing the English songs. So I was with me, my, my friends and one of the guys that worked with my team, he was like, the, we called him the grunt. He was kind of like a bullpen catcher. He's the guy that carried all the gear from the bus to the stadium and such. And uh, he would often take me out. And then I'd run into – it wouldn't be big gatherings. Like, it, there'd be maybe six to seven of us guys, and we'd have this room. And they'd brought food and drink and, you know, people to kind of spend time with you there and have fun and all that stuff. And I always knew just about everybody. And if they brought a few new people, friends, I'd, they'd introduce me to them and that sort of thing. Well, this one time in Taipei, the, the kid – said, hey, we're going to go to one of those KTVs. I said, okay, sounds good as usual. You know, we'll go out and have a few, sing some songs and have a few drinks, and have some fun. When I went into this time, it was like, I'd say about the 10th floor of this building. And when I walked in, there's more people than usual. And I didn't recognize hardly anybody. God, I don't recognize anybody here. But I thought, well, maybe some of my teammates or some of my friends, the people I know would be showing up. So me and my, my friend, my buddy, um, we sat down. And we're listening to people sing and doing all this kind of stuff and hanging out. And um, this one Taiwanese lady comes up to me and she says, uh, what, what, Ask me what she's speaking to me in English. She's asking me what my name was and what am I doing in Taiwan? I go, oh, my, I told her my name and I told her I'm a baseball pitcher and we're just hanging out and having fun. And, and we're just, she's making small talk with me. Then after a while, she goes, Do you know what the, the untruth game is? Oh, crap. So I, I knew what she's getting at, boom, at that moment on. The untruth game. So I looked around, and I now I wonder why I didn't know anybody. Well, I found out, like, a table kind of like 20 feet away from me. I kind of noticed this kind of where It was like in the center of the room. This guy looked like he was the, the leader of something, you know. Everyone was around him. He kind of looked like he was the boss. Well, he was, yeah, he was the boss, right? He was like the boss of one of those Taiwanese gangster gangs, you know, about the... We're now wanting to know if I would throw games or not. Oh, man. So now, so now I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, I can't get out of here. So I'm thinking, I'm looking down to the ground. I'm thinking, okay, how am I get out of here? I'm just going to just wait. Maybe I'll go out the back door and go down some you know, fire emergency stairs or something like that. And, uh, and she goes, you're looking so sad. I go, oh, no, no, I'm not sad. I'm okay. She goes, do you see that girl over there? And I look over. her. She's, do you think she's cute? I go, yeah, she's kind of cute. Well, you can have her. Go, oh, okay. Now, this is getting serious. They told me, I'm still telling them, I don't think I can do it. Then they told me, we'll give you $10,000 cash right now, just to think about it. You still don't have to do it, but just to think about it. I go, no, I don't want any money, man. If you give me any money, then I know they own you. So I I finally told her, I said, and she told me again, I can have another girl. I can have two girls at once and $10,000, and we're going to make a lot of money if I would do this. And I finally said, you know, go tell the boss over there, I ain't doing it. She says, are you sure? She says, if you don't, you'll never win another game here. And, you know, we had about another month plus left in the season. So she goes over, talks to the boss, and I see her talk to him. And all of a sudden, he turns right at me, and he makes eye contact with me. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. And then she, gets, she steps away, and, like, within, like, a second or two, he, he stands up, and he starts screaming something out in Chinese. The music went out. Everybody got up, and now everyone's leaving out to the door. The party was over. This was supposed to be a a party of me joining the gang to throw games and stuff like that and make a lot of money doing it. Now I told them no. (laughs) So I thought, man, I'm in trouble. Again, now I'm thinking, now they're pushing people out the door. I'm hanging behind. I ain't going out that door. All of a sudden, they kind of get me and start shooing me out the door towards the elevator where everyone's going. I'm like, man, this isn't good. So about a couple of years earlier, I think, there was another American who supposedly committed suicide and jumped off of a building, killed himself. Suicide, uh, airport. Yes. Supposedly. So, Supposedly. But yeah. we always knew the background, you know, the inside scoop was he, he kind of crossed up some gangsters or something like that, and they kind of tossed him off of a building. So I always kind of knew that, you know, in the back of my mind. Now, before I went to Taipei, about a week or so before that, a couple weeks um There was a big incident. Uh, we were playing in Taichung, in our home city, and um, the next we played the Elephants team. Um, I forget what night it was, but the next night we heard a lot of something happened to some of the, the elephant players. One guy had his head wrapped up in gauze and stuff like that, and we we're hearing that. Well, the story ended up being these guys were working with the gangsters, but they ended up getting two groups of gangsters trying to get them to do one game. Now they got caught in the middle of this, so. Obviously, the, the the group that the gangsters that lost sent their goons after these guys, and they found them at some bar in Tai Chung. and uh, they took them back to their hotel room, and they were threatening their lives, and this and that, and one of the players thought he'd stand up and say something, and They they grabbed the gun, and they pistol whipped him across the head, that's why he had the gauze around his head the next day. So that next day, we heard, we're hearing about these stories. We had extra security at the stadium and all this kind of stuff. So I remember about these guys getting beaten up a little bit in their hotel room, the guy getting tossed off of a building and so on. So now as I told the boss, no, and we're going down an elevator. Uh, I was the last guy put in the elevator. So everybody was behind me. So I'm facing the front door of the elevator. Everyone's behind me. I literally was thinking someone was going to come and, wrap a wire around my neck and choke me out i was really afraid that was going to happen i was waiting for that the good thing was at first was the elevator was going down and not up so i figured if we're going up we're going to the roof and that's that's all she wrote so we go down and i I think it was like 10 floors that we to go down but it was like the longest slowest 10 floors going down that i ever experienced i was shaking waiting for someone to kill me literally because i saw their faces i told them no and blah 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 we get to the bottom floor. I go to the right. They go to the left. And then I find my buddy who brought me there. And I said, what the hell was that about? You know, I was probably using a lot of other words. He said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They make me take you. They told me I had to bring you and all this stuff. I went, oh, man. I go, you ever do that again? I promise you, I'll kick your ass. And, you know, and so on and so forth. So that was a kind of a scary moment there.
1: And, um, and, and you did win some games the rest of the year. I ended up pitching in six more
2: games for the rest of that year. And, and you, I was five, Were you ever looking up in the stands <laughs> nervously? I was worried that any time, at any time, something could happen. But I won five wins on my last six games. My other game was a, a no decision. I left late in the game, tied. You know, I didn't. They told me I would lose every game if I didn't join up and just do it anyway. So yeah,
1: you can read up on that scandal because you can go on, on the internet and read up on that that scandal. It caught. It, it snared a lot of, especially Taiwan players. Some of the, one of the best players in Taiwan got caught up in it. And it was, it was a real scandal. And it, it it led to the formation of another league, right, Don? I mean, you ended up playing in a different league after that.
2: Well, the, the other league was already planning to start. It was called the Taiwan Major League, which I would join after that season and, you know, with all this going on. But during that offseason is when the gambling scandal broke out with the news and mm-hmm. uh, players were being arrested, yep. um, paying fines, some going to jail, being banned from baseball for life mm-hmm. there and all that kind yep. of stuff. So. It was a big thing. So the good part was when I joined the Taiwan Major League for my third year now going to Taiwan, that we had a clean slate with the fans. We were brand new. So this brand new league had four teams. And. We had the majority of our games were sells because every game before was a sell sellout. It was just crazy, like I told you with the with the the fans and stuff. So they were hurt. What was the capacity, by the way? What was the what were the crowds like? The stadiums that we <laughs> had back then. Now they got a lot of modern looking stadiums now, but back it was like these all dirt infields and lumpy grass that wasn't really taken care of and stuff. Just a lot of the stands you sat on cement, not chairs, because they probably threw them at people. Already they're gone, I guess. <laughs> but but some stadiums would hold like fifteen thousand. Some 18, 12,000s in that, that kind of range, these little mini kind of they would be almost look like if they are kept in real good shape. The size of like at that our day mark, those um uh, major league spring training mm-hmm. stadiums. Yeah, definitely not nowhere nice of those, you know. Right. Spring say, spring training stadium on a scale of ten, 1 to 10 or close to ten.
1: Yeah,
2: ours were about a two or a one.
1: So um year three goes well, year four goes really well. You're, not, you're the you're the most valuable player in the league. You you have win 19 games. Your team, I don't think that you, you won the championship. That you got to the finals. We but, lost game
2: seven of the yeah, championship yeah, finals.
1: So you're the MVP. so You got to carry hardware home with you, uh, and you also that, that was year you, you got to perform uh, sing on a national TV show, which I still want to see a video of.
2: I, I don't know where those are at. I never was able to get one of those. But um, my second year, and maybe my third and fourth years, rough in there. I, I for two or three years it was like. In Taiwan the big thing is every night during the weeknights, they had these variety shows like the three main channels would have their own variety shows and every night you know, people love watching singing and skits and all that kind of stuff you know so if um, I would off went down to Taipei where they they where they shot these at in their studios and um, the one time was kind of a, a goofy one thing is where uh, me and my teammate were in there and then the variety shows they like you know like the 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 stars of Taiwan like their movie stars they're pop singers and so on and they do all these skits and things and they would sing now the, the thing that i had to go to this one particular time was they're gonna they put headphones on me and my teammate we took turns and it was like a game where the celebrities sat up there's like three or four of them and if they can understand the song that i'm singing in chinese they would ring their buzzer and try to guess that song that's good. so first was my teammate and he sounded horrible because you can't hear the music. He's just the headphones and he's squinting his eyes and he's he's singing nasally. He's trying to say Chinese <laughs> words. Oh God, it was terrible. I go, Oh my God, I'm gonna look like an idiot doing this. So which was
1: the whole idea in the first place. Yeah,
2: let's let's make fun of the American guys, oh, know, of course. with the language. So no one they couldn't even guess the song. He nobody can buzz in. They started doing goofy things, but now it's my turn. So you hear the music and it's all Chinese, and I'm trying to hear the words and trying to repeat them and sing it at the same time and so i know I, I must be sounding bad and and i know the word i am crazy because i felt like i must be crazy on this stage. so i said whoa <laughs> she sun jean bean blah, blah blah and as soon as i did that boom 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 the four people were slapping their oh, their awesome. buzzers and they and they guessed the song that i was singing huh. like, holy crap okay so now is my teammate his turn to do the second round so i'm sitting there next to one of the director-producer people, you're know, out of the way again. And I said, how did they guess my How they guess my song? They go, well, oh, when you said I am crazy in Chinese, that was part of the words of this popular song at the time. I, I didn't know that. I just said those because that was some words that I just felt, I was just trying to be funny. And it actually turned out to be the song somehow. They got it.
3: That's
1: amazing. So you have this big year, uh, year two, or you're, you're actually year four there. And, and you yep. still... At that point, you're thinking Japan. You're thinking I'm, I'm getting an opportunity to go somewhere else. You don't. You go back to Taiwan for a fifth season. I think that's just um, remarkable. Uh, five yeah. years now, and it's been it's been what seven years since you last played in the major league.
2: Going into my fourth year, so I had this great year. Now, what always was the motivation was that every year uh, some Japanese teams would always grab a number of the top guys who are playing in Taiwan. May it be Taiwanese guys or a Dominican player, American player, whatever. You know, the top guys always would end up going to Japan. And when you went to Japan, they, they're, they're going to pay you some good money. You're going to get a good chunk. And if you were to play the whole season and put some good numbers, you could make upwards up about a million dollars, you know, back then. So I was like, I got to get to Japan. So now after that 1998 season, my fourth year there, I'm the MVP of the league. I'm like, oh, good, man. I'm going to Japan now. No doubt about it. Going up to that season. The Japanese would only allow two non-Japanese players on their team. Going into the 1999 season, after I'm the MVP, they were gonna go to three teams. Oh, I'm three for numbers. sure in now three. You know, it could be American, yeah. Dominicans, or whomever. Yeah. You know, non-Japanese. When the season was ending and that off season, I'm waiting for my call and my opportunity. That was when in Japan they had the their their the yen devalued big time. They had their stock market was dropping. They had a real rough time. So now it would take even more yen to pay them. Uh, American dollar contracts. So here's what happened. Instead of going to the three players per team like they were planning on doing, they didn't even stay at the two. They actually went down to one. So every team was cutting a player rather than bringing an extra one on. So um, I didn't get the opportunity to go to Japan, which is very disappointing. So I thought, well, okay, I'll go to Taiwan for my fifth year. I go, hey, we had a real good team. I had a real good season. I go, if I just kind of keep the momentum going, things will work out. How old are you at this point? uh, Going into 1999 season, I was starting the season, I was 35 going on 36. So yeah, I'm getting a little older, but uh, I always felt if you just did good, if you dominate, I always felt if anyone dominated in a league anywhere, maybe rookie ball, A ball, Mexican league, Taiwan, I think you would always get a chance. So someone, hey, let's take a chance on. So uh, the American teams were surprised. They didn't really know much about Taiwan. So I told them I was 19 and four, I was the MVP and all this kind of stuff. They go, ooh, those that sounds really impressive, but we don't really know much about Taiwan. So now I knew they they had their attention on me. But then in the 1999 season, my fifth year, our team just belly flopped. We were back in last place. We were playing terrible. I wasn't getting no breaks. I was pitching pretty decent, but I, you know I was losing games and pitching well and,
4: and kill the win, Mark. By the way, that's why we kill the win. That's a whole <laughs> other
2: problem. Oh, stop yet.
4: it! Stop Your wins and losses are worthless, and they're because of what stop. you just said. But stop continue. it! Yeah. I to get
2: it, it was rough year. So my my season, I ended. Up, I mean, at one point, I think at the very end of the year, where we had this earthquake and the and the season was postponed for a few weeks. There was like only a couple of weeks left in the year, and um, and we we're ready to resume and play the last two weeks of the season. I got released, so I finished the year like about a like a five and twelve record. I, I did not, I still had like a respectable three point something ERA. But when you're in last place. the the teams get rid of you because Mm -hmm. they pay, they're paying us guys a lot more money to play there. So they kind of, they get rid of you. So that happens often. If you're in last place, you know, a lot of the foreign well, players, you know, you get released. Okay, that so goes.
1: that's got to leave a sour taste in your mouth. And you're flying back home and you're thinking, are you thinking at that point, okay, I'm done. This is the end of it. Then you go to Italy for a year, another, another season overseas yeah. on the other side of the ocean.
2: Yeah, across the Atlantic this time. While well, I was playing for many years. I had other teammates, American guys and so on that would make their way through Taiwan. They, they had played, a couple guys said they had actually played in Italy. Like, oh, okay. So the guy says, hey, Don, just think about this. Whenever you think you're going to give it up, just play one more year and go to Italy. So I always you love it and he kind of described how it was a little bit there. And I said, okay, so I filed that in the back of my mind. So when I got let go after that 1999, scene, that's five years of Taiwan, I was I was like my energy was spent because we would go there after the off season, but we'd get there by January the 10th. And I would be there till sometimes till almost the middle of November. So I mean it was a long time. And you know, I'd be home for a couple of months at that. And I was going back again. So I was kind of drained out the Uh, being in Taiwan I was thinking that's pretty much if I don't go to Japan I think this is my last year of Taiwan I had opportunity to go to Korea but I said "Eh, you know I think enough's nothing yeah now the next season I'd be turning 37 my son is getting older he's playing little league and I'm missing out on a lot of stuff when I've been gone for all those months so I said you know maybe I might just try one more year and see what this Italian baseball league thing's all about so I got my opportunity, and I the, go there.
1: the, the best thing about that. And I will we're running long, so I will let people. we to leave something for people to read the book. But you, you you finish your career in a dog pile, and I think that's the that's the best way to wrap it up, right? Everybody wants to walk off the field a champion <laughs> their last time. You guys win the Italian league. You're under a dog pile. You make the you get the final outs, and you're under you're on the bottom of that dog pile, and that's the end of it. That's the way to end it. That is the the way to end a career.
2: There wasn't a World Series championship trophy, but it was the Italian League medal that we they gave mm-hmm. us. <laughs> but yeah, we, we I, I went to a good team. We had a good year. I pitched very well. We won the championship. And so my final pitch as a professional baseball player was the final out to uh-huh. win a, yeah. a championship. That's the way so to go that out. Was, that was great. And I don't care what level or wherever no, you're at. You're right. Winning a championship gives right. you that same euphoric feeling that you can't
1: describe without a doubt without it so eight years overseas all, all total eight years overseas after you threw your last big league pitch i manny i don't believe i can't imagine anybody else other maybe than than uh uh what what's your buddy the the, the, the pitcher from the i can't say his name well manny ramirez Bar-Bartello, jumped Bar-Bartello around and- bartolo cologne,
2: and- cologne,
4: cologne maybe well as far as pitchers go i mean yeah i could think of, i i imagine bartolo cologne still still at
1: it but They're, i mean that's <laughs> remarkable between
4: I, I mean i Okay. But he's playing
1: in his home country by now, I'm thinking, right? He's probably back playing in Latin America. Yeah, as far as playing, yeah. Globetrotting like, like Auggie did. I mean, it's a remarkable story. The book is called, it's called Foreign Affairs. Hopefully, we'll get it published next spring and have it out. Um, some amazing stories in there that we barely touched on. It's and, and, uh, yeah, it's just incredible it's stuff. Incredible. But but the word that jumps to my mind is is glamorous, because that's exactly what it wasn't. It wasn't glamorous. <laughs> People think yeah. professional baseball is all glamorous, and it's just not. It's a, it's a lot of hard work. It's a grind. And, Augie, it's just tremendous that uh, that you guys share these stories. I'm really looking forward to getting that book out because I think it's, it, it's better. That even, this interview was wonderful. The book's better. Fair?
2: Well, it's the thing about it was, being in these different countries, you
1: were expected
2: to do good every yeah. time as a right. hitter and as a pitcher. Yeah. I saw a lot of good baseball players come from America to Mexico and, and Taiwan and all these places, and they couldn't handle it there. It yeah. was just too much well, I, pressure, the culture, and I'm stuff, sure. and they would literally fall apart.
4: Well, when they got people throwing chairs and and beer bottles at
2: <laughs> people, I mean, it's oh, like, God, yeah, that happened that, many times.
1: That's that's just mm. not just, just a couple. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well. Let's uh let's look forward to getting that book out. I again, Augie loved the stories. it's awesome. Any uh, any last words? Just that
4: um, this has been a real treat because I you know Mark's obviously told me told me uh, some of these stories and just just part bits and pieces of them and I thought wow this is this guy's got I mean it's wild. This guy might might have a book and a movie in it too. Yeah. So I mean like that's pretty it's pretty amazing. So I can't I can't wait to to, to read the book and coming uh, I mean, from. From, uh, you know, from expecting somebody to choke you out in yep. yeah. an elevator because yep. of yeah. uh, <laughs> you gangsters and stuff, yep. to, to, to playing, you know, to, yep. to, to, <laughs> to try and food that you're not really sure where it comes oh, from no. and all this oh. other stuff, man, just amazing <sighs> stories. Yeah. And that's just weird. the And
2: we just scratched the surface, so I can't wait. Oh, I did talk Auggie. about the bandits out in the highways in the yeah. country highways out in Mexico.
1: Hey, Augie, um, <laughs> we got to start thinking who's going to play you in the movie. That's there you think about. All right. So start picking but up. He has to
2: be some... a really handsome guy though. Okay, he yeah, still has okay. to look like a ball player.
1: I think You got that right. All right, man. Hey, <laughs> thanks for joining us. I'll get appreciate <laughs> right, it for your time. I'll talk to you yeah, soon. Yeah, it was fun. Take care. Take care. All
2: right. Manny, Thank
1: you got a closure for us, Manny? Yes, sir. All right. We'll have that when we come back. Stay with us. It's the park adjusted Rockies podcast. We'll be right back. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite
2: sports stars, past and present look no further than Denver autographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com.
0: Learning life skills through baseball, USA Prime is more than just travel baseball. We mentor young athletes in areas like teamwork and skill development. It's about more than winning weekend tournaments. It's about showing young players how to achieve their goals in baseball and beyond. Contact Scott Horman at USAPrimeColorado at gmail.com for more information.
3: This week's edition of The Closer is dedicated to our esteemed guest from today's podcast, former MLB pitcher Don August, also a former teammate of Mark's, and a guy who has some incredible baseball stories to tell. You got a taste of that today. We talked about his time in Taiwan and Italy, among other topics on the podcast, but there is a lot more to his story, so you'll definitely want to keep an eye out for his upcoming book, Foreign Affairs. Don was the 17th overall pick of the 1984 MLB draft by the Astros. Others picked in the first round that year included Mark McGuire, Corey Snyder, Jay Bell, and Norm Charlton. Don and Mark, Knutson that is, were dealt from the Astros to the Brewers in the same trade in exchange for another right-hander, Danny Darwin, in 1986. Don was a member of the 1984 USA Baseball Olympic squad, which brought home silver. His teammates included McGuire, Barry Larkin, Will Clark, and Ken Caminiti. He was outstanding during Olympic play, finishing with a 1.91 ERA in 12 appearances two of them being starts and 33 innings overall. Don made his major league debut in 1988 with the Brewers, finishing fourth in AL Rookie of the Year voting after posting a 3.09 ERA over 148 and a third innings for Milwaukee. And all of this before the run-ins with the Taiwanese gangsters that you heard about on the program today. You've got to get your hands on the book when it comes out. You've just heard some legendary stories from Don, and there are sure to be more where those came from
1: and Manny remains spotless in his late-game save chances, that means it's time to put another episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast in the archives. Thanks to my former teammate and aspiring author, Don August, for sharing with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.